Welcome to season three of the Jesus Said Love podcast. I'm your host, Emily Mills. And I'm your other host, Brett Mills. We are founders, we're creatives, we're entrepreneurs, and we're activists. We're musicians, and we love Jesus. We've learned a lot serving the Jesus Said Love community, and this is the space we'll get to talk about. Ever learning, ever growing, ever loving. So come with us and explore how we can awaken hope and empower change together to create more space for love. Hey, Emily. Welcome back. You're coming in hot. Coming in hot and snotty. And well, gross. Hot and coffee. Okay. That was disgusting. Well, You're- I just need you to know that because every now and then I may have to hack a lung up because I've got something. It's not COVID or it's not the flu. Same. We tested for all the things. It's just that time of year. Yeah. It's, it's the most, but you're coming off of five days off of the ranch with the guys. Annual uh, deer camp. Yes. 2021. But you didn't come back with a deer. I did not. I saw lots, but yeah. the ones that I saw happened to just have too many zeros behind their price. <laughs> Way out of my league. But they're fun to watch. Oh, they're beautiful. I'm so glad you're back. Well, I'm excited to... Uh, be here on the podcast talking about this particular subject because it has had me really geeked out a little bit. Okay. So we are talking about the sacred gift of work. And that has you geeked out. Do you know what my name means? Do you know what Emily means? Brett's lover. Um, no. What does it mean? (laughs) Emily means industrious one. Ah. It also means hardworking. Yeah, that you are. And it's funny because I used to hate the meaning of my name. I used to just think, oh, like that's so intense and that's so... But the reality is I have kind of lived into that and I've always had a doing orientation. Mm -hmm. You know, then learning about the Enneagram and learning all these things about personality traits and it's had me geeked out a little bit because... This subject is really important to me. And then as I got older in my spiritual journey and working among women who were engaged in the commercial sex industry, I really began to dig deep into, you know, what is dignified work? Like what's the meaning? What is the meaning of work? Are we made to work? Is work a result of the fall, which is what I originally believed? But then as I turned 40 and I went kind of on this spiritual quest and visited uh, Sister Macrina for the silent retreats, I learned about the the rule of St. Benedict. And I learned about that throughout history, Christians have had a really holy theology surrounding work Hmm. and that work is a gift, that work is sacred, that work was actually present if, if you look at the creation story, work is present there before the fall. Mm-hmm. And so the way that, that God really um, cultivated and created us as human beings as part of our divine nature is to cultivate and to steward and to tend to, to shepherd, to garden. All of those things are work to create. All those things are work right? And they're divine and they're divine gifts. And there's so much good energy 
behind that as a gift to glorify God and and to steward creation well and to have relationships that you cultivate relationships with one another. When the fall happens, when the enemy slithers (coughs) in and gets in between is when the curse falls upon, you know, humanity and, and what is cursed are relationships and the fruit of your labor. Mm-hmm. The fruit of both labors, if you will. Yeah. You know, the the for a woman that she, her desire for relationships and to bear will now be filled with envy and filled with strife, and that all that male uh, puts his hands to or female puts their hands to will will be thistles and thorns. You know, and you just see this curse. And so, it's really been interesting to me because I think I grew up thinking work is something that you have to do to pay the bills, and work is. Um, toil and the things that you actually find joy in doing um, like won't earn you an income and won't get you paid. You know, that's that's just kind of the narrative I grew up believe, believing. Or that you're a woman. Well, yeah. And that my work is in the home. Yeah. Yeah. And limited. Limited and and not not valued. I mean, not valued monetarily. Right. And if I want to work outside the home, I've got to quote, work like a man or like work in a man. It's a man's world. And mm-hmm. to, you know, so do you like work? Um, I, what's your relationship to work? You know, I do. I like, I like the things that I've been able to do mm-hmm. and I've been able to, I mean, as simple as deliver honey baked tams to my dad's lumber customers. I loved it. Why? Because I got to go to job sites and talk to scratchy old men and hear things I've never heard before, and it was really funny. Um, then I got upgraded to driving this kind of not semi, but semi truck that dumped smaller bundles of wood. Mm-hmm. I did that one summer. Because your dad was a lumber, he had a lumber yard. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I was also, I, my one of my very first jobs, I worked at Chuck E. Cheese. Yeah. And I was not the rat because right. they said there's something wrong with a six three rat. Mm-hmm. So I was the dork that had to stand around and dance at the birthday parties with a little apron. And I, <clears throat> I didn't necessarily like what I had to do at that job, but it was still fun. Mm-hmm. But then I think of all the things we've got to do. We got to travel the world leading worship. Mm-hmm. I mean, I wouldn't trade any of that for the world. Mm-hmm. And what we get to do now, we get to have a front row watching mm-hmm. people take back their lives and mm-hmm. win and mm-hmm. All we're doing is making a space for that. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't trade this for work. So for me, I don't think about any of these things as work. Like Because why? Because work is bad? Well, I guess when I think of work, I just think of, oh, I got to go back those leaves. Yeah, but work, and that's what I'm saying, is that we've been sold a narrative on what work is that it's actually not. Does that make sense? Yes. So work is not bad. But, but we've, you know, the narrative that we've been sold and what we've been, you know, believing is that it work, work means survival, that we have to work in order to survive. And there's a part of that that's true, but as research has shown and what this pandemic has shown with the, the study of the great resignation, right? So in, um, in 2020, you know, in September, there's now the Department of Labor says 4.3 million people quit in August. And 
what we're finding out now is that they didn't just quit. They changed jobs. Only a few people actually resigned. And those are typically older people. What Mm. we know now of the numbers, those people that actually resigned were older people who were scared of the pandemic, who said, you know what, I'm Mm. tapped out anyway. I'm close to retirement. Most of the people um, were, you know, there was a burnout prediction that was occurring. People are getting burned out. This connotation of like working for the man, you know, so the kinds of jobs that people switched to were interesting. So really it's like not the great resignation. It's like the great switch. Right. It's like the great switch up um, is what tended to occur. And during this during this um, pandemic, the other thing work related that I'm looking, I'm just naming a bunch of factors because I really we're gonna we're gonna talk to survivors at the end of this episode, and I really want everybody to hang on to hear their perspective on what work means. Mm-hmm. Because as this great resignation happened, we also witness a shutdown, and we witness a migration for women, particularly low income. Uh, low-wage workers who are predominantly women, most low-wage workers are women. Um, Of those low-wage workers who are women, most are black women. Um, So there's some major disparities there among low-wage workers. So great resignations going on. People are quitting jobs, but the people who want to keep their jobs aren't making enough or have to go now virtually teach their children, which women bore the brunt of that. Then we also see this migration toward OnlyFans, toward online commercial sex, mm-hmm. exploitation, exploitation, and sexual services, even via Facebook, via Instagram, because now you can integrate that with all the payment methods. Oh, yeah. And so we're watching, on one hand, a great resignation or a great switch up. Then we're watching uh, unemployment with low-wage jobs being cut, which directly impact our population. And as that happens, then we're watching a great migration toward commercial sex exploitation, which now puts them and their children in the highest risk categories of being trafficked. So all that's swirling Mm. around happening. Are you with me? Of course I'm with you. I'm sitting here thinking, you know, the, the OnlyFans piece is the one that I find most interesting because what we're seeing is there's some people in there making yeah, a crap ton of money. A whole lot of money, right? Like just an hour or two a night, flip it on. Right. You're by yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe you're with your boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever, partner. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're in the safety of your own home, um, you know, in the commercial sex industry. And, and particularly the reason why OnlyFans became popular is, number one, because... Most of what we know and most of what it seems like is that the account holder can can keep the money, but we we actually don't know that. We don't know if it's a front for trafficking victims because right. we, we can't see whose bank account is whose. And interestingly enough, OnlyFans has been around since 2013. Correct. Did you know that? Yes, I did know that. It's just but been it's, sitting out there in obscurity. And well, not all in total sudden, obscurity. I actually knew a girl from Waco back way back when, who started right when she turned 18 after graduating private Christian high school doing OnlyFans Mm. and starting to make her own income. So what we know about it is that, you know, you can 
you can keep your money. That's the appeal of it. You set your own terms and you don't have to engage in person to person. So it reduces some of the risk. Right. And and that's one of the things that I, I think as we study OnlyFans more in depth, it's going to it's gonna change some of the statistics that we True. normally see because there aren't necessarily direct offenders. Yeah. There could be, I guess. But, yeah. um, it, you know, if, if you're on an account and you're not by your own consent or whatever, then or, there's that piece. But but I'm saying many of the women that I've read in, in different stories, it's all their choice. Sure. And, and so is she going to suffer from PTSD like someone who's been assaulted? And, and how the, do you... In that in that case, it's also a relevant question to think about online bullying and to think about the fact of what we know about anxiety, depression, and online, you know, um, bullying, because you you can't guarantee that you're not going to be harassed, at least verbally. Mm-hmm. You know, that like some, in the chat thing. Oh, yeah. And like what yeah. they're saying, what they're asking of you, you can't unsee that. Well, that's true. You can't. I mean, if, if a man is asking you to do a certain thing on camera and you didn't even know that certain thing existed and it feels degrading or vile, yeah. you can't undo that in your mind. Well, but I think what I'm just simply saying, I think it will be interesting to see what the data shows us, yeah. how those factors that maybe aren't a factor in another area of the sex industry are now in this. It's, I think it's going to be a bit of a game changer. It will. What we know currently, when, when we think about work and working in the commercial sex industry, is that currently 89% of, of people, of women in the industry, say they want out but don't have another means of survival. So this is where that sacred part of our being is really marred. Can I play devil's advocate for a minute? Sure. Every time I hear this stat, um, why? Why do they not have any other means of survival? Yeah. Well, there's a lot of factors that go into that. They say they have no other means of survival. So whether and how do you quantify that, right? Because right now there's a labor shortage, right? So it's like, oh, you can go work. You have choices. Okay, so maybe what we know of women in prostitution is that most are suffering with uh, PTSD of some sort or trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, so there could be fact, risk factors there. Some are dealing with addiction-related issues. Yeah. Um, some have we're dealing with um, a lack of education mm-hmm. and a means to be able to get that education in order to get the job that they want. You know, in our population specifically, it's in Waco, Texas, in who who are in our uh, makeup, in our system, you know, roughly 80% are moms. And so when you talk about going to get a job, it leads to another question, right. which is about childcare. Right. And what is the, what is the labor, uh, labor force of women and how are they being cared for in companies so that they can have optimal pay with optimal benefits, paid maternity leave, um, you know, a flexibility. And that's what we noticed in the great shift or the great resignation switch up is really that people wanted different jobs. People didn't want to just quit working. Mm-hmm. People were wired to work. Why do you think that they? I think I asked this question. Why do you think that they would 
would want to change jobs? Okay. Well, I just listened to a whole NPR thing on this and read, and I really want to have him on the show. Anthony, um, he did, he did the first article on, um, the great resignation. And so, um, what he says, hold on, I'm totally finding, hold on, turn to my notes, turn to my notes. Professor at Texas A&M, uh, in the May School of Business, what? Oh, gosh. I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> that's like a thing you do? That's what, that's what you're supposed to do if you don't like A&M. Okay. So what I'm researching and what I'm learning a lot about is that um, if we want to keep women in work and in the workforce and engaged in the workforce then you're going to have to meet the needs of women. Many women have children. Mm-hmm. And, and and statistically in research, if you read Sex, Love, and World Peace, which is like a 600-page book, that the research shows that you want women. You actually can't have a healthy and stable economy without having women be a part of it. And part of the reason why is because where women are primary breadwinners, mm-hmm. then they are... Um, spending their money differently than males who are primary breadwinners. Males typically spend most of their earned income on, on entertainment, on tobacco, on alcohol, on all that kind of stuff. Women, when they're the primary breadwinner, they're spending money on their children Hmm. and on community related investments. Um, And so in order to have a healthy, not only fiscal economy, but like socioeconomic, you know, the, the whole picture of it, Women need to be a part of the workforce. So we're gonna. If you want to, if you want a healthy economy, if you want a, a healthy society, you've got to keep women in the workforce. But you also have to listen to their needs. Um, William Spriggs says we have to maintain women in the workforce if we even want the economy to grow. And so he then goes on to say the U.S. in the top in the top economies ranks. In the seven top economies in the world, U.S. ranks sixth in regards to women's workforce participation. Wow. Sixth. Yes. So of, of like the strongest economies, we're like low. Who's number one? I don't know. He didn't oh, say he that. he didn't say that. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, really, we... We have got to think about childcare. We've got to think about paid sick leave. We've got to think about all the things that have been impacting uh, women. We saw women in 2020 go in higher numbers to work in construction, into warehouse jobs, in transportation. All of those industries went up, which mm. I thought was really interesting. Women getting, which have typically been male dominated. Um, but again, you're looking at, at better pay. But another researcher said um, that his name is Lassau. I don't know if I'm butchering this. Lassau Bach says that we have to find and keep workers, that in order to find and keep workers, we have to learn as organizations to treat people as people, which sounds Imagine like that. common sense. But really, this great switch is about not just finding better paying jobs, but finding better work cultures. Right. Because... It, it really is about 
you know, we used to think in terms of like, I have my personal life and I have my professional life and I can do this at work and then I can do this at home. And I'm not saying that like everybody that you work with has to know everything about your life. I understand boundaries, but what we're finding is the cultures that actually thrive and are actually more profitable are the ones who treat the whole person who actually get to know. And even like if you watch Ted Lasso, right? Right. It's like at the very end of it, it's like hire your best friend. The one piece of advice I could give you, you know, you see the boss like turn her colors, change her colors. And she's like, if I could give you one piece of advice, it's hire your, work with your best friend. Yeah. And we used to think, don't work with family. Don't work with your friends. You know, it's cutthroat. It's dog eat dog. Those companies actually don't stick around. Mm-hmm. They don't do as well. Yeah. You know, even profit profitability wise. Well, you know, I, I I do think culture is a big deal, and I think that you know, if you work for a company that creates a space, an environment that you don't feel like you're going to your job, you know, it's like if if it's this, uh, I got to get up, I got to go there, I got to sit in this cubicle, I got to do this. Does this work even matter? Yes. Is, am I making any sort of dent in the world? Um. Or how do you how do you run Whataburger in such a way that it is a culture that people come and they're excited to sell number ones and number twos and then that transfers over to the customers. It's like, oh my gosh, I get to get a number one or a number two. Right. And it's Whataburger. Yeah. But yet the people you've hired, the people you've made a place for them to win and succeed. And you've come around them, and so then that transfers over to the customer. Right. Versus having a bunch of pissed off workforce because you're micromanaging every single minute of what they do. Every, mm-hmm. Did you do this? Why am I paying you to do this? Da 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 da. I'm done. <laughs> I think overall, people are desiring better work environments. I think that people um, and and bosses, employers, really have to be willing to listen to the needs, particularly of women. And so they have to look at things like transportation of all their employees, but like how long did it take you to get here? Could you get here on time? Looking at things like closing shifts, looking at things like livable wages. Um, I think that companies are rethinking things of what they're asking their employees to put up with. In other words, we used to think the customer's always right. So you just take these levels of abuse from customers. That's all being rethought. I have seen some things on TikTok that customer ain't right. Yeah. And so it, and really the companies that back their staff, you know, and say like, Hey, we're going to back you. And as long as you're operating in, in our code of ethics and you're representing, you know, there are some customers that we genuinely just can't make happy. You know, I have a lot of uh, a lot of business friends, business owners or managers or people like that. And some of them, I hear them talk often, like when they're, when they're analyzing their business, one of the things, it's like we have to have the lowest cost on labor. Mm. We need to lower our labor costs. I always oh walk away gosh. from that conversation thinking, why wouldn't we want to invest the most of our money into our workforce because that directly correlates to a re- customer retention. Yeah. Because now you have a sales force retention. I know. And it, it's like, why, why do we want to gripe about a $15 minimum wage? Right. Yeah. You know? Oh yeah. Let's, 
let's reward people and make a space that they win. And then you win even more as the business owner. I think it's a slower win. And I think that's, that's, yeah, that's all about, you know, long-term gain and not profit. It's greed. It's, you know, it's not about that. Um, but okay. So as we think about all those things that we've talked about work, we've talked about the kinds of work. Oh, hey, can I throw one more thing yeah, at you? Yeah, sure. Because we were talking about this last night on the deck. Mm. One of our guys was reading a business book. And the fact that he threw that just blew my mind. That uh, they did research and I like how we're just saying they. Of the people. <laughs> I can't remember the book, but I, I'll put it in the notes. Of the people that once they reach the salary number, $84,000. Mm-hmm. Above that, nothing else changes. What, what are you talking about? I don't know what your I'm factors simply, are. I'm, you know, what? we always think more money means if I, get, if I just get more money, mm. then I'll, have, I'll be happier. I'll be more satisfied. I'll have more power to do whatever. Um, but what this research has shown is once you hit the salary number of $84,000, mm-hmm. that's where the happiness is. Hmm. So they've monetized happiness? Well, not necessarily happiness per se, but but satisfaction and where you feel like I can take care of my family, mm-hmm. I can put food on the table, I can put shelter, and we can do fun things. So, $84,000 is that number. Yeah. I just thought that was interesting because in my mind, I, I mean, somebody who makes $380 million and they got a jet, I mean, that's... You think they're having more fun than you? I don't know. But it doesn't change the addiction it doesn't, rates. No, it, it doesn't, doesn't change it doesn't suicide change and death, anxiety and depression. Yeah, no, it doesn't. You're it right. It doesn't change any of that. It but just... Yeah. I, I'd love to go on a private jet one time. Mm-hmm. But that's just me. Yeah. And think you like all the all the shiny things that's part of your... But I don't want to own them. I just want to ride in them and then give them back. <laughs> Let you millionaire maintain them. So if anybody out there listening, you got a private jet, hey, let's go for a ride. Oh, my gosh. I'm a good chat. So... Um, I think that when we think about our work at Jesus Said Love and at Lovely Enterprises, and as we're heading into the new year, one of the things that we are looking at is the fact that year-end giving has been really bad. Um, we have we are now seeing the results of kind of the pandemic, and a lot. We're not alone in this. This is the case for a lot of nonprofit organizations. Um, but the reality for us is that we have survivors who we have been able to bring on staff for the last year, who we have watched tremendous growth. And we have had some of the hardest, most personal um, personal growth and resiliency. I mean, like pulling out yeah. the Brene Brown, like mapping it out around staff relations. And like, I'm so proud of of who we are as a staff. And there's not one of these jobs that I could look at and say, I don't want you here anymore, or you don't need to be here. Um, The research shows in our model that we've been trained under, the Thistle Farms model, that their numbers are really, it's it's like this two-year program of being able for housing and for work and for case management and all these communal factors so that you are then set up for long-term success. Two years, you know, for a woman who's experienced trafficking and exploitation, prostitution and addiction. And so we've had this one incredible year and 
we're now at headed toward the end of the year and we're looking at potentially having to cut survivor jobs. And that is horrifying. Mm -hmm. And they know it. Uh, We've, we've talked very honestly about it. We're trying to figure out ways, um, you know, how do we do this? How do we not go anywhere and still have skin in the game and still stay with them in this transition? If we have to, to cut their wages and their hours. Um, but I think what's important for our listeners is I wanted every audience member to hear who listens to this podcast to listen to why work matters to survivors, why having this job matters, why not go to back to Whataburger, why not go just get another job somewhere else? What is it about working at Jesus Said Love and Lovely that actually matters to them? Yeah, that's going to be cool to hear because you're right. Over this past year, there, there's an intensity behind that. Yeah. There's not like, oh, I could just go somewhere else. It's I don't want to. I don't want to go I anywhere. want to work here. Yeah. And it's not like we're pushovers. No. I mean, it, we, we run a tight ship, and this is hard work at times. Yeah. This is emotionally taxing work. You know, we, we, we require Longer a lot. Longer hours uh, yeah. sometimes. And but they want to work here. Yes. Because as, we, as we're learning, and I think we're going to hear directly from them, but it, it's not about where you work. It's not even about how much you're getting paid. It's about your why. Yeah. And it's, it's a job with meaning. And so we want to welcome to the show Mimi and Stephanie, and we're going to spend a few minutes interviewing them. Okay. Welcome, Mimi. Welcome, Steph. Hello. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> I know this is not like your favorite thing to do necessarily, <laughs> um, but I'm so thankful that you've said yes to doing kind of this interview. So we're talking about work. We're talking about why work matters. So maybe just describe your, you know, do you, do you like to work? What are your thoughts on having a job in general? Um, do you think work is important? I think work is important, but I also think that doing something that you love is worth more than just going to a job every day. Mm. Yeah. I mean, you're spot on. That's what research is showing. What about you? What do you think? When you think about work, what do you think about? I kind of get taken back to like my whole life. I've worked since I was 16. Um, Before I started dancing, I worked three jobs. So back then it was just surviving and making enough to like just to live off of. And even when I had a lot of money working in the clubs, like I never was a materialistic person and I only worked just enough to be able to use that money to spend with my family. Cause that's what matters the most to me. Mm-hmm. And even still like money is not important to me. I just want the necessities in life. I don't want to have to struggle, mm-hmm. but work to me is like, I feel the same. Like I want it to have meaning. Um, I don't want to just, I have a, I mean, there's so many opportunities to just make money, but at the end of the day, that doesn't do anything for like my soul, my person. Like I want to help people Mm -hmm. and I want to like change Mm -hmm. lives Mm -hmm. for real. And you're doing that. (laughs) And you're doing that. And, and I mean, everything you're saying, like, just so that our listeners know, we didn't, prime them definitely not to say 
<laughs> we, I am we literally the worst got asked at like, anything impromptu. <laughs> if that's even right. We literally got asked to be on the podcast like an hour before. <laughs> I know, and and it's you're, but you're saying all the things that all the research is showing. I mean that that people reevaluate, particularly women. Um, have always spent their money. Women who who are primary breadwinners in their communities actually spend more on their children. Men who are often primary breadwinners spend money on entertainment, alcohol, and tobacco. Isn't that in that? Cr- I mean, that's like a proven. But you would you would be like, yeah, yeah. And and most of the women who are who are in the workforce, there are a lot of single working moms in the work in the workforce. So tell us a little bit, like. What does it mean to have a job that allows flexibility when it comes to your children, when it comes to childcare and making them priority? Well, I go to school full time, so it's great to know that I'm able to leave for class and still come to work and my pay's not cut. Um, so I don't have to struggle about bills or find a babysitter at nighttime. Um, if one of my ch- child is feeling sick or not feeling well, I'm able to work from home or, you know, if it's not COVID related, bring mm-hmm. them to the office. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, for the women that have younger babies to know that they're here every day at the office, it just brings so much joy, um, here at the office. And it makes me feel good to know that they're able to come to work and not have to worry about daycare because daycare is pretty expensive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I keep going back to my dancing years, but when I danced, the one thing that I did like about it and I still don't regret is the time that I was able to spend with my kids, like not missing out on anything, right? especially like their baby time. So Mm -hmm. like being able to bring my baby here and just experience all those little moments and have her welcomed in like a good environment as opposed to me like dancing, coming home in the middle of the night and smelling like cigarettes and smoke and all that, you know, like, I mean, that means more to me than any amount of money. Like Mm. that's priceless. There's no amount of money you could give me to, that I would choose over coming here and being able to bring my baby with Mm. me. When you think about your previous, previous life and what work, meant there. Stephanie, you already mentioned some of it, meaning work, meaning survival. Mm -hmm. And we know 89% of women in the industry say they want out, but they don't have another means of survival. So for a lot of women, it is about survival sex or survival commercial sex exploitation. So when you think about other women in the industry who are living in a state of survival and in your own past experience to now how work is redefined. Is there, is there a switch there from what work used to be to, to what a lovely job or what a survivor advocacy job is? <coughs> you okay. So what is that? What, what was that switch? What did work used to be like and what is work like now? For me, it was like torture. I hated to go to work. I only did it when I had to, when the bills were due, um, like when I just, like there was no other option. And here, like, I love to come here every day. I love the people that I'm around. It's all, it's like family. Um, It's, you know, there's not people just 
downing you mm-hmm. or like looking looking like they're above you mm-hmm. um it just it's feels human mm-hmm. <laughs> like mm-hmm. that I mean, you know working in that kind of environment was just it took your humanity away like it just what about <laughs> for you when you think of what work meant in the past and what it means to work now my body was very tired Mm-hmm. Um, especially when I was being trafficked, you know, my body seen probably 10 to 20 men mm. in those hotel rooms a day. And I was just mentally, physically tired. Like she said, um, with the humanity part, my, my soul was just gone. Mm-hmm. And even to this day, I still battle depression and suicide mm-hmm. and, you know, every day mm-hmm. is a struggle and I get, I, like we say, <laughs> you show up, you grow up and I show up and, um, being able to help other women gives me purpose mm-hmm. and it makes me feel, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm supposed to be here. It's not just for my kids. It's not just for myself, but I have a purpose and I have a story to tell and I have other women to help. Yeah. And what would that mean for them if I did want to commit suicide? What would mm-hmm. that mean for everybody that stood beside me and helped me get out of those hotel rooms? Mm. Mm. I think that when we're talking about survivor jobs, you know, we can talk about it like abstract, but the reality is when we're talking about these four survivor jobs that we're funding, they're people. Yes. I With mean, lots of real people, kids. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, and so I, that's why I was just, I'm just like, it's so important that, that our listeners and potential donors recognize that the impact that they're making with those donations for to be able to keep these survivor jobs. So in the past year, I can personally say that I've seen tremendous growth in both of y'all, even in job switches and switching things around and positions around and trying to find the right seats on the bus and also just interpersonal challenges, staff challenges that we've faced. I mean, we have gone there We have chosen to show up again and again and to have the hard conversations. The growth that that we have borne witness to in one year since you guys have worked here is crazy. What are you hoping, if you could speak to potential funders, why do you want to work here? Because you could go work anywhere. Mm -hmm. You could have more pay. You could go... You, your perks might look different and things like that, but you could probably have incredible health benefits. You could probably have whatever. Um, why, why is it important to be here? Why is it important for your lovely job, for your survivor advocacy job? For one, they're my family. Um, I'd be so bored without you guys. <laughs> Um, no, I just have so much vision, and I, I want to do so much, and I want to put my my visions, I want to put it in motion, I want to put my plan in motion, I want to be able to not just, I mean, we touched so many women over this past year, I could just imagine if I worked here another year, how many more lives could we change? Mm-hmm. I want access, I want mm-hmm. to help run access, mm-hmm. I want to see other women graduate the access program like I did, mm-hmm. I want to see them being in the position that I'm in. Mm-hmm. You know, this isn't just a job for me. 
I just I had just moved up at Waterburger. Was working there for three years. Mm-hmm. I made more money at Waterburger, but mm-hmm. I chose to come here for a reason, mm-hmm. and I still believe in that reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's funny. That's pretty much the same thing I was gonna say. Is like when JSL came into the club. I remember the first day. I was like, I'm gonna be on the other side. I'm gonna be working with y'all, and I'm here. But I, it's not time to leave yet. Mm-hmm. Like. <laughs> It's heartbreaking. Yeah. No, it's not it's, time it's to leave scary. yet. It's scary. Like, you know, like, like she said, your, your, t- your work's not done. And like, you're, you're, I'm still not healed. Right. And I know, like, this is where I do my healing. Like, even, you know, I still battle, too, with, like, my past. And there's been just some things brought up that I had. You know, I came in here today, like... It's like when you've been through so much, yeah. you just blame yourself mm-hmm. and like you feel so unworthy. And like I had to come in here today and, you know, talk to one of the girls and like it reminded me like I'm not that person anymore. That's right. So it doesn't matter like it doesn't that all that doesn't matter. But all that's just to say is like this is more than a job to me this is like a process of me growing into the woman I want to be like I was just saying like I still feel like a kid I'm 35 years old and I don't feel I feel like my (laughs) I stopped maturing at a certain age because I was just surviving and I feel like I don't feel like an adult like I should feel like (laughs) right now, even with five kids. Like I do all of the mom things and I live it as an adult. But in my mind, sometimes I just don't feel ready to be in like to be in the real and not the real world. This is the real world. Right. But I feel like also like there there is a calling on my life to be here. There has been several times where I knew God had me here for a reason and I did finish my degree, and I've only been in this position really about six months because I was pregnant half of this year. Yeah. So I haven't been able to even begin yeah. to do anything with Lovely. I mean, it's doing fine, but there's so much promise like in it. There's so many relationships being built and connections being made. And if I'm only here for 20 hours, like that's right. just... All the work's going to be in vain. It's going to be for nothing. And then not to mention, like, we're going to be lost. (laughs) Like, we'll be here half the time, but what are we going to do for the rest of the time? Like, that's a hard decision because, you know, then you do have to ask yourself, am I, like, should I be here half the time? Do I need to go somewhere full time? That's not what I want to do, but... sure. You have kids and you have a life and you have right. to make it make sense where you can survive because then you're back to where you were in survival mode and panic and it's and just I not think, yeah. a good place to be. And I think you guys both touched on it that, you know, this, the, this isn't, we didn't hire you guys because um, you necessarily had... PhDs and qualifications and all these sorts of things. 
you were a hire because your life experience means that you have a calling and that your reach goes deeper than mine could ever go. And we knew that it's also at the same time, part of your healing, just like I know part of me being here is part of my healing. And there's a reason that we do this work and it means my story gets to be healed too. And it, I think that I want listeners to understand that you're not funding paychecks. You're funding people who are healing. And Lovely is a family. It is a community that is about restoration and about healing and about moving forward together. Just as you guys have said, it's it's so much deeper and it's so much more than any kind of dollar amount. The truth is, and we've said this before, that when we had to outsource jobs originally because we didn't have a way to fund survivor jobs, we would often have these conversations with employers because maybe a woman was having CPS-related issues and they were like, she's got to be at the office. We can't keep making these provisions for this woman who just keeps having to go meet with her caseworker or she's on probation and we can't do that. Or this woman punched a hole in the wall because a boss came in and said, I'm like, yeah, well, she has PTSD and like that, you know, but they weren't prepared. We're prepared. That's what we do here at Lovely at JSL. Like we are trauma informed. We understand the mental health issues that come along from surviving the commercial sex industry. Like we get it. And so it makes so much sense for, for you guys to be here and to be a part of this because you also, as you heal, are able to help more women as they come through those doors, you know, in the same way. Other thoughts on, I mean, it's just beautiful to hear you guys put words to some of the things that we already know, um, I think I, I want the listeners to know that my gratitude is very, I'm just grateful. I'm grateful even if this is, you know, my last year here, I'm grateful for that year. You know, um, I would love to be here another year and years after that and to grow with JSL and see what more we could become, but I'm just very grateful. Well, we know we can't do this work without you guys. We really can't. And we've known it all along that it matters um, to the very fibers of our organization that we have survivors who are leading, who are equipping, who are reaching out. Um, you need to be here. And, and we know that there are people out here, out there, who believe in our vision and who believe in you and believe that women and and women with children, women who are overcoming great odds, deserve a livable wage and deserve um, the kind of job that they want and that they're called to that's, that's making a difference. Um, and so, were well, you going to say something? I was going to say yeah. one more. No, yeah. I was just going to say for the listeners, I wanted them to know that, um, I had said this before, but like JSL is like an endless pursuit to chase after someone and like help heal them. Like I met JSL in 2013 
And I danced for three years after. And all the time they kept coming back to me, coming back to me, just being there, loving me where I was with no judgment, no trying to pull me out, just loving me, giving me anything I needed to survive, food, Mm. clothes, school supplies, just different things. So I want people to know that when they give to JSL, it's not just, you know, this is they're chase. I keep coming back to the same thing, but you, God chases after the one sheep. Mm-hmm. And I felt, you know, in, in doing that, I've been able to bring, bring others to God, bring mm-hmm. others here to be helped, to get sober. Mm-hmm. I've been able to change my kid's life. Like, you know, I just want them to know that it's not just you're given to help this one girl with a job right now. Like right. y'all go after people from the beginning. And as long as they're willing to come back to you, you're always there with open arms and willing to love and like help them grow. So that's just kind of what I wanted them to know was mm-hmm. like, I danced for three years and I was still being helped. I went off the map and y'all were still there. Uh, any. Thing I needed, you know. Even if you block them, they are still there. <laughs> yeah, your your Facebook blocks. Yeah, I don't know. Just I just want them to know that it's not. You know, it didn't start with we're just here all of a sudden and we need a job. It's like this began right. a long time That's ago, true. and it's a lot of work already put into me. That's so, true. I mean, <laughs> yeah, we're not finished yet. That's right. No, we're not, and we have we've got places to go. We've got things to build. We've got women. Who, who we don't even know yet, whose lives God is already pursuing, God is already on the move, and we can't wait to see what that's going to be. So in these next 21 days, I believe it's 21, or when this podcast release, somewhere around 20 days, um, we have a huge deficit and a huge goal to reach. And so we are looking for monthly donors at $150 a month who can commit over the next year to help pull us out of that deficit. We're calling this Awaken 91. That's 91 people or groups who commit to giving $150 a month. If that sounds unattainable to you, we're like, we get it. $20 a month helps. Anything that you can give helps. If your company has a matching grant, um, we're open to one-time gifts as well. I just looked at the whiteboard before we started, okay. and it looks like we already have 18 of the 91. Awesome. So if that gives you a little perspective. And you might I want to be fully transparent because that's how we operate around JSL. You might be thinking, well, why in the world are you guys get in this hole? Like, how does this happen? Like, what did you do? Um, at the beginning of the year, we lost three significant donors. And um, they were for various reasons, pandemic reasons, um, and I'll just leave it at that. But they, their funds were specifically allocated to fund these survivor positions. Because we ha- were able to take PPP money, that was able to move us through the year. But now that money has been used and it's gone. And so in order to save these jobs... We have to make up for the donors that we lost. And they were very significant donors. So I just want to be real clear. It's not like anybody's doing any wishy-washy stuff. Mm-hmm. It's the pandemic has finally come to JSL. And um, and we just find ourselves in this position. And so every time I have looked at the numbers and looked at you know this and that and cut this, cut that, I always see people. I don't see positions. Mm-hmm. 
And so I can't tell you, many of you run businesses, you know how hard it is. Um, I can't think of it in position terms because I see Mimi and I see Stephanie um, and I see Miss Pat and I see all these different names that have, you know, come through this place. And so as you, as we wind this, this podcast up, just realize for us, this is about people. It's always been about people. Um, and so we're, we're not begging you. We're just humbly asking you to join us as we make space for people to win. If you go to our website at jesussaidlove.com, you can click on Awaken 91. You can also visit our Instagram, Jesus Said Love, and on our link tree, it will specifically have a page devoted to Awaken 91 so that you can motivate even people around you to help us kind of carry this wild torch and fund these four survivor jobs for 2022. You can give with a credit card, debit card. Bank account, ACH, blood, whatever. We will what, <laughs> not what, blood. If, an, if there's an option, <laughs> if there's an option that you have that we don't offer, call me. We will make the option available. Um, you know, if you if you still write checks, PO and Box five two three, Waco, Texas seven six seven zero three. If you are listening beyond Texas, beyond Waco, um, just as a side note, this issue is present everywhere in the world, and we actually receive. Um, access students from all over the United States. And so um, Waco is an amazing place to to be right now. And we're excited about the future of that. But we also know Oklahoma, Kansas, California, um, different cities across Texas. Our students have come, our access students have come from all over the United States to rehabilitate their lives here at Jesus of Love. And so if you're donating from anywhere else other than Texas, come on, join the movement, join the ride. We need your support. Thanks for joining us. We hope this episode brought some light to your own story and hope for your journey. Make sure to subscribe and leave a comment. For more info on our work, visit JesusSaidLove.com. Until next time. Share the love.